Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Masters of Our Domain, a podcast which is allegedly about Seinfeld. I am Milo Edwards, someone who has never seen Seinfeld, and I'm joined as ever by my co-host, Phoebe Roy. Hello. That's all she ever says. And this week, we're joined by a very special guest, Merrick Kay. Merrick, how are you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me. And you know, it's funny, I always had the impression that Seinfeld never really caught on in the UK, uh, whereas something like Friends, which was its major contemporary, I know that caught on in a very big way. Mm. Um, and Seinfeld, I never, when I was living in the UK, I never heard anyone talk about Seinfeld. Um, yeah, no one's seen it. <laughs> no one's seen it there, That's right? generally my, I mean, some people have, but like it's, yeah, it's very much like a cult thing in the UK. Um, and I have genuinely never seen it. Well, okay. I watch every episode of Seinfeld I watch before we do the podcast oh, about it. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. So this and is, this is the, this is the concept. I've seen it many, many times and oh, saw it for the first time same. when I was about seven. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a, in this country, it's, in this country, it's kind of, a, a, like, Marla doesn't like it when I say, when I say this because, uh, because he is a renowned racist, but in this country, it's like a Jewish cultural product. Like if you're like, uh. like the, that's, that was, that was the largest audience for over here. Um, and like, and comedy nerds as well, but. We don't necessarily need to talk mm. that much about them. Anyone who needed to know what the deal with that was. Sure. Well, it's funny yeah. because like the episode that we watched today, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves or like throw off your format or anything, but like <laughs> this episode. <laughs> Bless you that you think there's a format. <laughs> uh, this episode to me is similar to my favorite television series of all time, which is Peep Show. Because, you know, a lot of Seinfeld, mm. Seinfeld isn't always about like cringe or awkward humor, but this episode is explicitly just about two a nominally adult men who have to deal with a grown up adult man. Mm. And that is very much a peep show thing to me. Um, and just trying to deal with an awkward situation where neither one of them wants to be there. Um, yeah, I know. I think, I think that's, I, I, yeah, I think you're right. And the writers of Peep Show will have will have grown up with will have grown up with watching Seinfeld because there's absolutely no way that they're not uh, they're not comedy nerds. Oh, maybe I should think of a nice maybe I should think of a nicer way of putting it. Not no, it's 2021. Nerd. nerd is a nerd is a neutral term. Comedy yeah. actor. <laughs> We've reclaimed it. Yeah. Nerd with an X in it. Yeah. <laughs> do you People think nerd? Do you think nerd, do you think nerd is a ne- do you think nerd is a neutral term? That's interesting. I've definitely heard people like call themselves nerds in a kind of very, to my mind, disgustingly proud way. Um, but I've never mm. heard had it thought of as something which is just sort of neutral. It's just like saying like, like you know, this guy. Hmm. I think it's just become an, a term that just means you're an enthusiast of anything. I think you can be hmm. a comedy nerd now. You can be a basketball nerd. You shouldn't be, but you can. You shouldn't be. But listen... <laughs> There's a lot of things you shouldn't do that you can do. And, um, That's well, if there's one thing that Jeffrey Epstein proved. <laughs> just have to get the, the Epstein quota out of the way early on. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just um, kicking, it, kicking the, the show off early. Just, I mean, normally yeah. we go to Fritzel pretty early on, so I oh, think Epstein okay. is a bit of variety. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, no, no, you know, no, it's no, good no, to mix no, it up. Milo, we, 
We, we do not go to fret school. You. Yeah, we is doing a lot of lifting there. <laughs> you are the, you are the, you are this podcast fritzel guy. Don't, don't try and drag Look, me I'm down. I'm a fritzel your... nerd. What can I say? What's the deal I... with fritzel? <laughs> What's the deal right. with fritzel? That's all I want to know. What is the deal with fritzel? Do you know that fritzel's favorite TV show was Two and a Half Men? I think about that every fucking day. Is that true? Okay, not only did I Apparently, know that, yes. I know that because you've told me on more than one occasion. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say something? That yes, doesn't surprise me at all. I don't know, me neither. No, that's completely, that's absolutely logical. Um, yeah. I don't think, you think it's you know, too far like that to would have blame the kind of two and a half men. No. <laughs> it turned him into a direct line from watching that yeah. series to becoming a a literal monster. Um, it's Austrian like some version kind of... of two and a half men set in a basement. <laughs> well, that's that's because they have to have a nice low ceiling for the half man. Um, I've never I seen it. Have... Have what it's about. <laughs> a personal <laughs> it's not, story. It's not... I think I, I've told Phoebe this story. I told Phoebe this story recently, and she it was found it very funny and was astonished that I'd never told it to her before. Um, over the summer, I was kind of vaguely dating this incredibly like just aggressively normal american phd student and uh one night we were at her house hanging out and her housemates had gone out drinking because there was this brief period in britain where we just like reopened every pub in the country Mm -hmm. and we're like the coronavirus doesn't exist and they came back at like 4 a.m and we were sitting up like drinking and watching netflix or something and they'd brought back some friends with them uh who were this couple it was like an english girl and a dutch guy and uh, everyone else left the room, including this girl, and just and I was left with just this couple who I'd never met, and I don't think anyone in the house knew either. Um, and uh, and I got chatting to the guy who was saying that he was Dutch, and so we got chatting about like Europe for some reason. And then I made some joke about the Dutch, which she didn't get. And then we got we got into like talking about like niche Dutch stuff. And then and then I made a <laughs> and then I made a Fritzel joke. <laughs> Which she also didn't get, and so then me and the Dutch guy are then explaining Fritzel to her oh, as she begins just becoming increasingly horrified. Then I made a joke about how there was another guy who did the same thing as Fritzel in the Netherlands, but who was also Austrian, so they're like exporting it. Oh, anyway, boy. at this point, uh, the girl that I was seeing comes back into the room and just without missing a beat goes, "Are you talking about Joseph Fritzel again?" <laughs> Repeat offender. <laughs> exactly. So you should have think... stuck to the the Dutch jokes. You should have stuck to the, that classic humor of mm. you know when Dutch people go on vacation, they don't wear sunscreen, and then their their skin peels. And then uh, you could create a character in an Austin Powers movie based on that observation. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Called Goldmember. So I think Goldmember is one of the greatest comic conceits that uh, you know. Oh, either absolutely. of our countries has ever conceived. Oh yeah, no, it's a. a joint cultural product it's sort of like uh we shook hands across the atlantic uh after (laughs) after uh centuries of animosity we're like yes we we've come together to create this what we can uh, all agree on is a general distaste for the dutch (laughs) (laughs) we've we've we thought about shipping you a giant christmas tree but then we decided this Mm. was easier it's easier just to let mike myers Mm. make a movie uh, with uh, with what's his name? Is it a good? I mean, is it a is it a good time or a bad time for me to launch into my extremely sincerely held um defense of the Austin Powers franchise? Oh, 
No, they're good as movies. Basically, being extremely, yeah. uh, like, extremely brilliant. <laughs> no, they're they're extremely good movies. They're like well timed. Uh, for a while there, Mike Myers just could not do anything wrong. But then, you know, like Icarus, he flew too close to the sun, and no mm. one would stop him, and he made the love guru. And ever since then, <laughs> his life has sort of been on a decline. He's been plummeting. He, I saw him on an uh, an ad, uh, a Super mm. Bowl ad that I was shown on YouTube, uh, which was one of the last ads I saw before I decided to just buy YouTube Premium because I couldn't deal with it mm. anymore. Where he was doing Wayne's World with Dana Carvey, selling, I don't even remember what it was. I think it was Grubhub or something. And they're so old. And it was like, does Mike Myers so need this sad. money? Or is he just doing it for his friend Dana Carvey, who probably needs the money? Uh, and then mm. Cardi B was there. It was, it was bad. Yeah, Cardi B is a weird addition to that scenario, I it have It was to say. strange. Hey, don't you hate clothes? Wait, what? Don't you hate clothes like Jerry does? Yeah, uh, I yeah, I guess. No, that, Jerry no, Seinfeld. This is, a very, this, is a very, this is a very good way of getting us back on course because, like, I was just going to launch into a thing about how, yeah. like, Icarus, he flew too close to the sun, mm. and like a Dutch person, he refused to wear sunscreen, and and he turned permanently into yeah. gold member, and that's who wrote the Love Guru. So, um, yeah, let the Love us... Guru was actually Joseph Fritzl's favorite film. <laughs> that I would believe. Um, <laughs> that, would, that would definitely, that would definitely believe. Listen, I've seen The Love Guru, so you can't make jokes about it if you haven't seen it. It's Stolen Valor. Um, mm. You have to watch it before you're allowed to talk about it. But don't you hate clothes? Just like Jerry? Yeah. And absolutely yeah, hate those clothes. Are, okay. Fucking, fucking I love clothes. clothes. I think they're great. I think that saying I hate clothes is like the most... When I watched this, I was like, this is the most Jerry Seinfeld thing I've ever seen. Just this man who just is so... Just refuses to deal with any of the niceties of society with with mm. any refuses to think about what he's wearing or like how he's presenting himself um which isn't really Jerry's character in the show which is weird mm. but um that i feel like is more of a Jerry Seinfeld in real life thing of just he's like i hate clothes why do i have to do this i just want to wear a belt i want to be nude and have a belt with pockets on it uh yeah. he's doing like dad shit it's like very, it's, very it's like a very powerful because this is the makes, this is the opening bit, right? Yeah, and then he goes on this bit about why don't we all just wear exactly the same clothes, right? Like aliens do. Yeah, and it's funny because then what he makes he does talk about dads later on in the stand up bit, but yeah, the opening bit is just I hate clothes because the episode is all about clothes, kind of. It's about the mm. jacket. Yeah, and in a way, that is why yeah, Jerry yeah, Seinfeld is the greatest philosopher of our time. I just don't. I just don't buy it at all because you just have to take one look at his gently billowing shirts and think that's a guy. That's a that's a dandy. That's a guy who really really loves to dress. That's a guy who knows how to dress, mm. and he simply loves to do it while he's while he's at it. Or he's smuggling something. Mm. What like why else like would the shirt be so his... big? Well, yeah, why I not? mean, we have we have talked at length about his abundant chest hair so maybe he's using that as a kind of velcro for kind of various sort of items of contraband velcroing bricks of cocaine he's to his weaved, chest hair he's weaved cocaine into his chest hair uh, <laughs> the hair yeah. itself is made of cocaine actually oh i see i see yeah it's, mm, so it's, it's just it's been sprayed black swallowing it it's basically mm. like transporting mm. on uh like on like a gorilla but just a lot a lot less unpredictable because you don't know. Okay, when it, so when I was thinking it, about this like, last night. Develop a conscience. Sure, yeah, <laughs> it could happen at any time. 
<laughs> I was thinking about this last night. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to get off of Seinfeld again, but yeah. Uh, what Never is apologize the smallest amount of drugs that you think, or no, what is the largest amount of drugs you think that you could transport without it being an issue? You know, like, because I was thinking about this, Ooh. right? And it was like, okay, so common sense says you don't carry drugs with you when you're getting on a plane. Like, obviously mm. you wouldn't. Yeah. But, you know, and but like, what if you just had like a small amount of like cocaine or like a designer drug or something just like in your pocket, like mm. something that dogs can't smell or something or just a small enough amount that the dogs can't smell. Like what if, what a rush that would be to be carrying mm. illegal drugs on a plane and not enough well, to make get it away with that all the time. Oh yeah. And not enough to make it worth like, like just for personal use. Like it's not like you're going to take a flight yeah, yeah, yeah. to sell a hundred dollars worth of ketamine or something but like no what a rush that would be you know i have a friend who's like really normal and has like a really normal like well-paid job where he does normal things and like he regularly when he's going to like europe or whatever like going to berlin to like hang out for a weekend he just like takes drugs with him just like in his pocket and he just does this all the time on commercial fl- and uh, like every time i have to remind myself that like this is his one insane thing that he does <laughs> he's otherwise completely fucking normal oh, you wouldn't suspect God. it of him at all i um, um when i was living in the uk i did a a euro rail thing uh oh yeah over the winter break one year and um i went to the netherlands and this is before i really got like before i was really a sort of experienced uh Mm. cannabis user and uh i ended up smoking too much and then we immediately after went to switzerland and i made the love guru and i made the love guru listen i woke up i had made the love guru um and but we went to switzerland right after and uh i was so scared that we were going to go to jail for having pot because the drug laws in Switzerland are much stricter and, or they were at the time. Mm. Uh, and so I think we threw out just like a huge blim of hash into like a trash can in uh, a train station in Switzerland because I was just freaking my noggin off. And uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that, that, that's, that's quite, that's, that's quite charming. Um, wish, in answer yeah, to your question, in answer in answer, in answer to your question, I mean, obviously, like, first of all, thank you very much for coming on the pod, officer. Um, and, <laughs> and, and second, I, um, when I was a teenager, I accidentally smuggled precisely one pinger um, on holiday to Tuscany with my parents, which I think feels like a very odd thing for me to for me to for me to have done that's the most middle class thing you've ever said in your entire life yeah i yeah no no, i know i i heard it as i was saying last pinger in tuscany (laughs) a new a new film by uh i don't know who's pretentious enough to make that whoever danny boyle um and it was and it was because um at the time uh i um I had a belly button ring because I was a legend and mm. I had this like like collection of belly button rings that had a kind of that had the jewel bit at the bottom was uh, was like something like giant like I had like a butterfly one I had like a skull one I had one in the shape of like an eight ball because punk Ooh. for life mm. 
um, um, because I I love guru belly button ring tie in. (laughs) Yeah. All that shit. And because I was, um, well, I'm not particularly, I'm not a particularly large woman now when I was 16, I was absolutely tiny. Um, so these gigantic belly button rings, which were made for like normal sized women would like cover like great expanses of my stomach and all of them. Um, if they were like particularly large, they all basically created a uh, little kind of larder set, set up in my belly button. So <laughs> when I went out, I could keep a number of pills in my belly button and just kind of close my belly button ring. You know, over the tonic's tea cake, tonic's tea what? cake, bit of cheese. My belly in the belly not larder. that large in the belly larder, yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, and then I just uh, like, like caramel close... wafer. Well, may I finish? Thank you. Um, <laughs> and then yeah, and then just like and then just sort of close and then sort of like sort of close sort of hinge the belly button ring closed over over that and never ever got caught. And on this one particular occasion, my parents had acquiesced to me going out to some horrible event the night before as long as I promised on you know promised on everyone everyone in the family's life that I would be back in time for us to catch this flight to Tuscany uh I think they thought it just wouldn't be worth living with me for a week if they hadn't permitted me to go to this event I don't don't know not not familiar with their thinking and so I'm sort of so I'm sort of slumping around complaining and I decided to go and I decided to go for a swim and as I'm getting changed like I like move my belly button ring and this pill just falls out of my belly button I was like oh shit <laughs> that was with me on the plane um and it was uh it was it was just after it was like the summer after September the 11th so going on going on planes suddenly had turned into this kind of like eldritch nightmare that it hadn't been before so mm. it was really really lucky yeah really lucky that i didn't get caught um so that's the most that's the that's the largest quantity of drugs i ever have accidentally smuggled the largest quantity i think i'm capable of smuggling i f- i feel like i feel like i could i feel like i could take like i don't know like if you i guess if you like sewed two t-shirts together and just like put something flat mm. in the lining oh oh or you could uh probably you could probably like rem- like remove part of like the underwiring of a bra and then just like tuck some stuff like, like literally just like in the kind of in the sort of structure yeah. of your bra if any mm. If any like drug smugglers are listening and want to hire me as a consultant, then uh, I am looking for work at the moment. uh, (laughs) I think the funniest thing to smuggle drugs in would be just like bricks of cocaine hidden variously inside copies of like the Quran, the anarchist cookbook, (laughs) like a a shoebox full of assorted wires and beeping timers, (laughs) like that sort of thing. Yeah, they'd be so distracted by all that stuff. Yeah, they're so yeah. relieved that it's not it's a bomb that they bomb don't even drink. notice okay, the cocaine. Just go ahead. Just fine. Yeah. Oh, um, this guy just likes to party. We, oh. we worried he was one of those guys, but oh. no, no problem. Oh. Um, or I could just hire a hairy What if, what if you smuggled... What, just stick them to him. Well, I was going to say, 
what if you smuggled drugs in the lining, in the the odd lining of a beautiful suede jacket? Oh. Uh. I have to say, Mary, you've done you've done the best job so far of subtly <laughs> steering the podcast back on Listen, track. Listen, this is what I do. I'm the president <laughs> of podcasts at Fanbyte, so that's, I am used to it. Very, I, uh, that's a very good point. Uh, we uh, we had to, mm. we had a very traumatic experience today, whereby uh, a little uh, coterie of our prior guests haters and losers, every single one of them, uh, got together to talk about how when they came on the pod, uh, it was really, really hard to persuade us to stay on track and talk about the episode. And uh, <laughs> that, that, hurt my, that hurt my feelings a lot. <laughs> <laughs> the, hate, yeah. the haters and losers coming for us. Well, listen, it's, it's true to the subject matter, right? Exactly. Um, We're yeah, making it's a, a meta-commentary meta commentary on, on Seinfeld the in the yeah. sense that Absolutely. If the cast of Seinfeld were making a podcast about Seinfeld, it would not talk about Seinfeld at all. For sure. Um, we are, however, so, twenty we can, minutes. We can in talk about the episode a little bit, and we've yeah. barely managed to talk about the first bit, <clears throat> other than to say so. it is not just uh, not just poor comedy for Jerry to say that he doesn't like clothes, mm. uh, but it is uh, demonstrably a lie since he loves clothes. So, like. I, I have yeah. to have personally. I have to have a bit of honesty in my bits. Yeah, not a poor, not just a poor uh, comedian, yeah. but worse, mendacious. Mm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't lie. Don't lie on your stand-up. That's you right. will be found out. Should expose um, the yeah. truth about the world. Yeah, that's right. Speaking truth to power. In this case, uh, women who be shopping. <laughs> women do be shopping. But Jerry be shopping. But Jerry he do. be shopping. And Jerry that... be shopping to buy his enormous blouses. Um, yes, exactly. You need a big blouse if you're going to be Jerry Seinfeld. If you're a comedian in the '90s, the big blouse is to smuggle all of your um, all your notes. Yeah, that's where they that's where they put the comedy within within exactly. the depths of the big blouse. Yeah. So if I if I run through the main the main beats of the episode since we're since we're getting back on track in in scare quotes. Um, so basically, uh, Jerry and Elaine go to a shop. Uh, where they're looking at clothes immediately after he does a bit about how he doesn't like clothes. And uh, then he sort of does a bit kind of in the shop about how, because the guy says he'll go and take a look in the back. And then and then he's like, why don't they make a store that's just the back? You go in and you're already in the back. Um, and again, it's like very, it's like very 90s comedy in the sense that it has the, it has the sort of intonation of a bit, but there's no actual bit in it. Also, I want to point out that there was a store that was all back. Oh, really? Yeah, at least in Canada. I forget what it was called. It was like, uh, let me see if I, oh, Consumers Distributing. It was uh-huh. basically a store where you went in and it was just like a desk and catalogs. And all right, they you would look through the catalog and then you would say, I want this. And then they would go in the back mm. and get it. But like, there was no front, Argos. really. Oh, is that what Argos no is like? Front. Yeah, Argos is, yeah, they've got little catalogs that give you a little pencil. Yeah. Well, they used to. I think it's all electronic now, but they used to give you a little pencil and you would like right. write down what you wanted and then hand it over the desk and then the guy yeah. would go and get it, um, which in my case was invariably PlayStation 1 games. <laughs> um, so that's what I recall. But yeah, I think, it, it, yeah, once again, this both it is a thing and also not a bit. It's not a so bit. Not and sure. it's just like, is he ever off? Like, how exhausting would it be? 
to be friends <laughs> with Jerry Seinfeld, just constantly trying to do these little bits. Yeah, I mean, okay, well, that bit's kind of accurate, to be fair. If you're friends with a stand-up comedian, they will constantly try and do, like, small bits to you. True, that true. Is, yeah. That is true. You're lucky if they're not doing big bits. Can confirm. So, anyway, they find a jacket that Jerry really likes. They both, like, ooh and ah at how much it costs. Jerry ends up buying it. Uh, he takes the jacket home, uh, at which point he's, like, admiring himself in it, and uh, Kramer manages to, like, con him into giving him his old jacket. Um, and Jerry won't tell him how much the new jacket was, but then Kramer looks at the receipt. Uh, then he meets George, uh, who also says the jacket's nice, but wants to know how much it was and tries to browbeat Seinfeld into telling him, but he won't. Um, and then they have to go for this dinner with Elaine's dad. Um, as they're going out of the door, uh, Kramer tries to get them to go and like help him collect something. He like wants them to sit in the car because they it's need, double parked. They need to sit in the car double parked while he feeds this guy's birds. <laughs> that's right. Um, that's not a euphemism. Also, I just want to say, I think the funniest part of this episode for me, or one of them, is just the scene of Jerry just sitting around in his underwear with the jacket on. Because like mm. that is like one of the truest parts of, of this episode, I think. It's just like when you find like a really great piece of clothing and you're just wearing it around the house for nobody um and then also just like the smarminess when he like is like i have to go get my jacket and then he walks out with it and he's just kind of strutting and george is just like (laughs) besotted um and we get the the sort of recurring theme of the fear of being seen as uh as gay or like effeminate right because Mm. early on in the episode george says that the jacket is fabulous, but he prefaces it with saying that he has an unblemished record of heterosexuality. Uh, <laughs> how how is it possible to have an unblemished record of heterosexuality? I, I, my question. I um, there's no way that George Costanza has an unblemished record of heterosexuality. He absolutely, absolutely. experimented in college, um, and in mm. fact, there is that episode later on where I. Uh, the uh, the college reporter from their old school thinks that they're gay and it's a whole thing and not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, mm. That's a great episode. George definitely fooled around with the guy. When you said there is that episode later on, I was really hoping that there's an episode of Seinfeld that's just like Sallow. <laughs> <laughs> like it's a really it's a really weird departure in tone. Yeah, we don't talk about that one very much, but it's it's in there. <laughs> that's uh, two episodes in a row that Sallow has come up. Yeah. So mark that and, on your uh, uh, Masters of Our Domain uh, bingo and, cards. And uh, three episodes in a row that Joseph Fritzl has come up. So <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Uh, so that's one of the only running themes of the podcast. Um, yeah, because actually on the note of the heterosexuality thing, there is the jacket has like a pink striped lining, yes. which people keep remarking upon. Um, I feel like uh, Seinfeld has a structure that's very akin to the like Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the television meme where like it is constantly reminding you of stuff which seems irrelevant but is obviously going to come up later. Um, And so like if they want you to notice that the jacket has a weird lining, like several characters in a row will point it out and then like 15 minutes later that will become a plot point somehow. and so uh, it's. I feel like that is its main. The main point of Seinfeld isn't to make you laugh. It's to make you point at the television and say, "I remember that. I remember them mentioning that." And now it's important. I think that one of my favorite things that has emerged 
uh, in doing this podcast with Milo is finding out that he actually did not have any prior understanding of what narrative was. And every time he finds out about storytelling, it's like, he's like a kind of brand new baby and he's really excited about learning about storytelling. But it's, they don't do this quite, in two and a half men quite, or the love guru. It's quite, it's, quite, it's quite delightful. And it's not something I knew about him despite our close friendship. And yeah. Mm. There you go. You learn something new every day. Um, <laughs> Um, I think that I, I think the whole thing about him being like so proud of his jacket and everyone like being blown away by jacket and everyone loving mm. the jacket, I think is one of the reasons why it never. I mean, it never properly took off here because they fucked up the TV scheduling. Like that's mm. literally why it never. Like they just didn't give it a proper slot and then they showed it all out of order. So. No one could like get a proper kind of handle on it, and also they would sometimes mm. they would show it at like different times it's on at, every like, night between two and a half men and the love guru. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not a popular. Um, it's a real graveyard and like, slot. And like in this country, and in this country, I mean, I know we're very proud of ourselves for our uh, for our alleged sense of humour, but actually, uh, you know, British British patter is it's in a state of extreme moral decay. So. People were absolutely loving the nightly showings of the Love Guru, and then they were just like, "Well, what is this? Hmm. What, what, what are, they, what are these guys up to? Like, what is the deal with what is the deal with that? I don't know. Like, what does that hmm. even mean?" But I think, like, really small points in the in episodes like the Jacket just show up just how specifically American it is. Because I feel hmm. like there is nothing worse than being a British person and particularly being a British person in an average British workplace and having a new jacket. Mm. Like Mm. that is the worst situation to be in the first time you go into work with a new jacket or a new coat or a new haircut or whatever because look at him, he's bought, he's bought clothes. He's Uh, he's gone, he's gone fairy on us. You think you're better than everyone, huh? Yeah, you think then you're like tra- young, blood to- sh- young blood shows up and is like, that a new jacket? Um, you're trying to rise above your station. <laughs> yeah. See, in yeah. America, right. we like, encourage yeah. that. Mm. Exactly. And we just have a lot of problems rare, with race instead. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we right. have, come on, Merritt, we have those two. Oh, okay. Well, mm. so you're like, no slouch like, oh, like, in the racism department got, either. We've got, we've got some good racists, all right? <laughs> Just All right. Just want to make, listen, want to make listen, that clear. We're the best. In terms <laughs> of racism, <laughs> racists, you know, number like, one, in, baby. In terms, of, <laughs> in terms of like, in terms of like proportionality and like relative mass, I reckon we've got more races per capita. Oh, I don't, do. I don't doubt that. Yeah, I, I think. Well, I think the kind of the difference is that like, I'll Britain is my like country. a fun, Britain is fundamentally an extremely low stakes country. So, like, yeah, generally speaking, the problems that it has tend to have, like, less bad effects, but also, like, British people are extremely insane. Mm. Mm. I'm not a, uh, an expert in comparative racism, so I can't no. say for sure. For sure but um, <laughs> I only, I only do only, one only, discipline only, of racism. <laughs> I can't actually. I specialized. Yeah, no, I, I'm not a comparative scholar uh, of this stuff. But um, don't have a joint honors in racism. No, no. Um, but can we talk about Lawrence Tierney? Absolutely. Who plays Elaine's dad. Oh, yeah. In this first and only appearance 
on the program. He was meant to be a recurring character, mm -hmm. uh, but it turns out that Lawrence Tierney was fucking nuts. And uh, really, ooh, yeah, yeah. He just um, like wasn't acting at all. The character was just him. He was a uh, yeah. Uh, he was described as not so much an actor as a frightening force of nature. <laughs> he was, uh, no, I mean, he was a, a scary guy. He would get drunk in public mm. and just attack people. Um, cool. He oh was stabbed in a bar fight. He shot at his nephew during the filming of Reservoir Dogs. Um, shot at his nephew? Yeah, he was, he was in Reservoir Dogs. Mafia dispute. And uh, he was released from jail for a day to finish filming Reservoir Dogs, and then Quentin Tarantino never worked with him again. Um, he you let me out for a day. I've got to finish this. Movie. He assaulted uh, a bunch of police officers, which you know what—that's fine. Mm. Uh, yeah, cool. We'll we'll allow that one, but that's that's good yeah. actually. Gotcha. But he uh, he was supposed to be a recurring character, Elaine's dad, and. Um, he he never came back because uh, he took a knife uh, from Jerry's apartment set and uh, just took it and put it in his jacket. And then Jerry was like, hey, why did you take that knife? And then he was like, oh, I was going to make a joke and then pulled it out and then imitated the, the psycho thing, the psycho scene, <laughs> the knife. Yeah. And um, everyone thought he was extremely scary. And they were all too scared of him. And um, Julia Louis-Dreyfus said uh, he was a total nut job. And so he was never brought back because everyone was too afraid of him. So this episode is like, like cool. the whole point of the episode is that Jerry and George are scared of him. Um, yeah. Every, they were scared of him in real life. <laughs> and he was never brought back as a character because the actor was just like a psycho. Yeah, and then he was too busy with his commitments on the love guru. Exactly. <laughs> and then he died, oh, much like the love guru. Like, much yeah. like the love guru. I, I had no idea. The love that guru you could is get a martyr. The love guru releasing videos, like sitting in front of a black flag, waving one finger, um, uh, advocating for sexual terrorism. You done? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was pretty much it. That was pretty much it. That was the whole bit. Um, I I really like that, but I am particularly taken with the idea that if you're in prison, you can get let out because you're filming. You're filming <laughs> because Quentin movie. Tarantino needs you to finish Reservoir because, Dogs. Yeah, because, yeah, because <laughs> Quentin Tarantino needs you, which suggests to me that there is a really unfortunate loophole in the American legal system mm. whereby as long as you can get cast in a Tarantino movie, you, you can commit any crime you want to. It's literally a get-out-of-jail-free mm. card. So I right. feel like and all you have, have to do is make sure that, that the Tarantino movie never wraps in a sort of producer-style right. scam. Because the problem is he only... Like, he won't want to work with you again after that. So you can only do it once. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but that's it. So you've got to dra could, drag it out. Yeah, but you could have different directors on rotation. So... No, it's only Tarantino like, has this power. <laughs> it's only no Tarantino. No other director is allowed to get people out of jail. Yeah, no one else has that kind of pull. Yeah, Tarantino knows a guy at Justice. <laughs> it's called the Tarantino Bail Fund. <laughs> um, 
Tarantino doing praxis by just yeah. casting people in his films. Like he's he yeah he's a he is a very strong advocate for for prison abolition. So so mm. he set up the Tarantino bail fund. That is yeah that's a yeah. that is a really good piece of uh, of Seinfeld related gossip. And um, I think I think you could, you get a sense that they're that they're genuinely uncomfortable in that in that scene. Um, mm. It would be really funny if uh, when he got the guy out of jail because he was now a convict, Tarantino took advantage of one of those like prison contracts and paid him 12 cents an hour for the shooting. (laughs) Fucking hell. (laughs) Screen actors guilt this, my friend. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're not a union guy anymore, my friend. Um, Yeah, I think it's, I think it, that, like that whole bit is, uh, I think it's a very well observed thing about being about not quite knowing what note to strike as an adult with your equally adult friend's parents because you don't want to mm. kind of fall into this sort of hello Mrs. Patterson um, thing, yeah. but also you can't talk to them like your adult. That's not their name. Well, exactly. I mean, it's a disaster. I mean, it's a disaster because I just simply call everyone Mrs. Pattinson. <laughs> to my mind, every hope- adult is called just- Mrs. Pattinson. That's my And just hope for the best. Um, yeah, and you don't, and you don't know, you don't know how to relate. You don't know how to relate to them because you don't, you don't. It feels weird to relate to them like you're just an adult and they're another adult who you're meeting, um, but you also can't. You also can't just like kind of act like kind of like you're kind of round there for round there for a play date. So yeah. I think like, I have think you seen the love guru? Weird <laughs> have you seen Sallow, Mrs. Pattinson? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And of course they've seen the of course they've seen the love guru. Everyone in the country has. It's uh, part of our. Um, it's part of our new woke education. Yeah, it was on after Seinfeld and Two and a Half Men. In the re-education camps that the woke left sent us all to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Glad um, glad so that covered for our for our international listeners. That's what it's like in the UK at the moment. That's right. Yeah, they make you they make you watch the Love Guru while you're facing towards Mecca. That's how it is now. Um, that's what that's what they want. You seen that? You seen this Love Guru? You seen him? <laughs> Look. Look, all I'm saying. Yeah. My oh, well, I, I said I was English, so made me watch the Love Guru. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, um, yeah, yeah. basically they're at so this... that's sort. I mean, that's sort of the meat of the episode, really. Yeah, they hang out with the the dad. He's alarming them. They're like waiting for Elaine so that she can sort of like dilute the situation. I do sort of relate to this when you get like stranded with someone's parents and they're not there, um, and then it's that that particular scenario can be sometimes. Uh, tricky to set the tone or similarly when you get like landed with someone's like boyfriend or something and they're not there um and you're just having to do that kind of like we're both here but we're not there's nothing going on between us okay so i will say i had a bit of a a moment when i was watching this episode where i was convinced that something else happened in this episode Mm. uh and then i realized actually just now what i was thinking of because there's another episode where Jerry and George go out to dinner with someone who is connected to Elaine, and Elaine is supposed to be there, but then says she can't make it. Yeah, it's when and they then, it's when they go out to dinner uh, with Peterman. 
with Peter Man. And I, because I was, yeah. this whole episode, I was convinced, like, wait, doesn't this happen differently? But no, that's that episode. And then Jerry bails and George is stuck with Peter Man and dragged with him to the bedside of his dying mother and uh, where he reveals his, his passcode for his, uh, his ATM card, which yeah. is Bosco. Uh, and, and that's fun. the last and also, words and of Peter Man's dying mother. Yeah. And it's also, and also, is, is, oh, no, no, sorry. That's, a, I'm thinking of an episode of 30 Rock. People like the uh, accidentally ending up at a at a deathbed at the dying mother's like bedside. A, mm. Yes, yeah, that feels like a, a sort of rich comic vein. Um, it's very yeah. funny to be with a, a relative stranger's very, very dying funny. mother. It's it, the comic, the comedic potential there is just through the roof. <laughs> um, something like something but, not dissimilar to that happened to my to my mother. Um, a long, uh, a, 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 I say a long time ago, like a few, like a few years ago, she was um, she was te- she was teaching a class, and at the end of the class, she went and uh, she went and put her coat on and uh, and went and caught the tube home. And then she realised when she was on the tube, she like looked down, she realised that this coat was like practically like covering her feet, and was like, "That's weird. Either I've shrunk or I've picked up the wrong coat." And it turned out to be, uh, and she turned out to accidentally swapped coats with one of her students. But it te- and it was absolutely freezing. It was freezing cold. It was one of the few winters uh, winters in London that it was actually snowing. So she needed her coat back, and this guy needed his coat. And then it turned out that he was having to keep a he was having to keep a vigil at his dying mother in law's side in this hospital. And oh my so my mom said, um, "So my mom said, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. I'll borrow a coat from Phoebe. I'll like, I'll buy a new coat, like." Like, obviously, like, go be with your family. And he said, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. Uh, they say she could go any minute. So, uh, so um, what, 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 what we'll do is uh, you go to the pub around the corner and I'll get in touch with you when she's gone. And my oh mom my told God. me she was doing this. And I was like, mom, are you fucking kidding me? This is a Seinfeld plot line that you've got yourself. <laughs> you've got yourself, in, you've got yourself involved off, then- in. Yeah, and then uh, and so she so she goes to this pub. She's got her phone on the side, and he's like ringing her with updates. He's like keeps going out into the hospital corridor, like while his wife is being like, "Who are you calling? What could possibly be so important?" And he like rang her at one point and said, um, "Yeah, it really shouldn't be long now. She's making this noise." <laughs> and my mom was like this is such an intimate moment in your family's life and it's not one that i should be having a ringside seat for and when she said this i was like okay so what did you do did you say this is really not appropriate let's like i'll speak like i'll be in touch with you in the future we'll sort out the code like don't worry about it my best wishes to your to your you know best wishes to your wife may your mother-in-law's memory be a blessing and she said no i stayed there i wanted my coat and i was like you're a psycho mm. but there we go and uh, yeah and eventually he yeah. showed up <laughs> so after I think, the death of this woman and they incredible. swapped coats and she came home he just like didn't like the mother. like i feel like if this was a seinfeld plot line like your mum would be costanza and the only difference would be she would be regularly ringing the family to check on the status yeah, of the dying like a- person How's she? How's she doing? Does she look like she's got what, what kind of what kind of noises are we talking or about? An hour or what kind of noises are we talking? Yeah, yeah. no, 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 no. The uh, the breathing the is it is it heavy or is it light? Got <laughs> yeah, got deferred onto this bloke. Um. So yeah, 
So yeah, there is something naturally very grimly funny about the idea of ending up at a deathbed of someone yeah. that you're not close with. Mm. One bit I wanted to that I wanted to like bring up in this episode mm. is that you know George, you know George gets uh, the song from Les Miserables stuck in his head. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. House. And then he gets it stuck in, um, and he gets it stuck in Elaine's dad's head. Uh, also, it's interesting because, like, Elaine's dad's supposed to be like a famous writer, and this never really comes up again. Like, she occasionally mentions her dad, but like, it, like the fact that she's supposed to be the daughter of this famous, famous writer who is so famous that even Jerry and George, who are supposed to be kind of illiterate, who have read him. Um, so, I think that's sort of quite interesting. Like, what? Yeah, what? after re-watching the early ones, what you can see that they kind of kept hold of and what they dropped, what they thought was a kind of good sort of good kind of template for an idea. And then they just reuse various storylines, like reuse bits and pieces and stuff. But what I think is interesting is, um, I say interesting, I'm letting that word do a lot of heavy lifting at this point. <laughs> uh, but actually it's more something, I, more something I wanted to talk about, which is what, song do you use to get rid of a song that you've got stuck in your head like what do you use as a palate cleanser because something that i have discovered in my the thing that you do is that every yeah okay fine you are the only person i've ever spoken to about this who is net who doesn't have a palate cleanser like an like a, 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 a oral palate cleanser merit do you have one no i think i just typically write it out I just sort of. But what if you? Um, but what if you get one like stuck in your head for like days and days and days? Then I suffer, yeah. like you know, <laughs> like a normal well, person. Right. I just, that's very, I just that's, very, that's very noble of you. Hmm. Oh, okay. I simply well, podcast uh, until it's case, over. In which, case, in which case, forget it. <laughs> no, I'm curious. What do you? Because maybe you have a trick that I can use. Um, okay, I use as my palate cleanser. I use um, a little respect by Erasure because if you sing that to yourself, it obliterates all other songs mm. but it doesn't well, see, but gets, it doesn't my concern get there itself oh okay because my concern would be that it would be a little old lady who swallowed the fly kind of situation mm. where like you know you'd use this song to to push out this other then song you'd swallow but a then, fly. You'd, then you'd swallow a fly yeah, that's what you know and then you die that's what's, that's what's so and then you die and then you watch the love mm. guru and everything turns into a disaster Phoebe's method can basically be boiled down to like, look, if you're having trouble kicking drinking, what I advise is just doing heroin and you will forget about (laughs) drinking entirely. And if your wife is still going on about it, be like, look, I quit drinking. I don't understand what the problem is. Look, you mock, but I actually don't think that that is a bad idea. I'm just saying. Hmm. I think you can be quite a functioning heroin addict. at At the moment as well, if like you're buying, if you're buying Skag, then that's a reason to go out of your house. Um, Support like the local economy. Dealer, that's socializing. <laughs> Supporting the local economy. And it's work, so it's legal. Um, Outside, very, um, very COVID safe. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, people are very starved of human interaction at the moment. So like, go and, like, you know, go and have a socially distanced time with your, with your scag dealer. I'm really, really surprised that you don't have that you don't have palate cleansers. Heroin addicts are actually more industrious than me. I will say that because one morning, there's like quite a lot of um, like Whitechapel where our office is. 
is an area of London which is mostly Bengali people who are all pretty normal, but then the most insane white people you've ever seen. I don't know. There aren't many white people in Whitechapel, but they're all completely lot mad. of A uh, lot of rippers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A lot of rippers. Um, a big ripper population yeah. <laughs> in Whitechapel. It's a proud community of, of rippers, <laughs> people of rip. Um, and uh, what I've, I've just noticed that generally speaking in Whitechapel, if you see a white person, you should be wary of them. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's something in the water. But uh, one morning, it was like the earliest I'd come into the office in months. I was, it was about 10 a.m. and I'm driving through Whitechapel and I see a queue of like, uh, white people like tweakers queuing up to buy drugs off a guy on a Boris bike. And I'm like, damn, like this is earlier than I ever get up. These people are out there getting it, fucking rise and grind, buying drugs at 10 o'clock in the morning. Like, I, even if I was addicted to heroin, I wouldn't get up that early to go and buy drugs. I don't, so really, I respect know what, them. I don't really know what to say to That's that. my take. <laughs> you respect them? I do, yeah. I respect their industriousness. Well, it takes a certain amount of commitment to get. It takes a certain amount of commitment to get addicted to heroin in the first place, because it doesn't. Isn't it supposed to be like absolutely fucking horrible um, the first few times you take it, and you have to kind of, you have to sort of push through that. You have to really. Are you confusing kind of, it with like smoking? I thought yeah. heroin was supposed to be sick. Uh, I think no. it's good. I think heroin is like very good to do. <laughs> That's not the to review. do. I mean, <laughs> listen. <laughs> <laughs> Follow me on Letterboxd. Listen, not. Not good to do, but like you know, it it's good. That's why people do it, right? Like it it fucking I rules. Thought, like the, fir- uh, like the, like first, like the first time you got like an um, like the first time you got like an amazing rush, and then like the second time it's really really horrible. So you have to like put a certain amount of effort and energy into actually oh. getting like watching the like watching the love guru. Yeah, I mean, I think probably it never lives up to the first one. I think that's the problem, and that mm. you're. You're always chasing it like the first time that you uh, watched that movie. Everyone um, remembers where they were the first time they watched The Love Guru. I do. And I think quite like horrible. quite <laughs> I have a quite strong conviction I would be like the only person who would be able to just have that one sick heroin experience and then never take it again. I think I'm I think I'm strong enough. <laughs> That's what I think. Mm. Like, that's why uh-huh. I have a sincerely held view. <laughs> that just, I could yeah, that. if I were in this, if I were, you know, if I were um, taking heroin, I would simply not become addicted that's to right. it. That's right. I would simply not become addicted. I would simply, just I would simply one, choose one, not no, to become addicted to it. That's just the kind mm. of, like, like RIP to uh, the opioid crisis, <laughs> but I'm built different, you know? I am, I would I simply... am built different. If I felt myself getting addicted to heroin, I would stick on a little <laughs> respect by erasure and sort that shit right out. <laughs> they should use that at the rehab yeah. clinics. It's the only thing that got rid of my Sharona, which was stuck in my head for like almost three weeks a few years ago. Hmm. Was opium. Even now, like if I just hit, what? No, my Sharona. No, I, no I was, what, the, what got uh, rid of my Sharona out of your head was opium. That was the, that was oh. the bit. One afternoon taking heroin. Yeah. Obviously. That's right. Yeah. Um, works, li- works like a charm, darling. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, though, that heroin, really Moorish. That's right. Very good. We love a peep show reference right. on this podcast. We yeah. don't love a Seinfeld <laughs> reference. We try and avoid them where possible. No, we try to avoid yeah. it. We try and avoid them at all not possible to make a reference. Um, what what are the, what are the other what right. was the what's the closing bit? Hang on, so there's there's a few hits we need to we need to hit here quickly. 
uh, as I mournfully return to the subject of Seinfeld. Yeah, there's a bit, there's a bit in the middle of the episode where he talks about how fathers are intimidating. And the reason that they're intimidating is because they can make other people. So if they don't like you, they'll just go make someone else. That's quite a kind of eldritch description of fathers. Very strange. Mm. It sort of makes it sound like they're, you know, that in, you know that bit in Lord of the Rings when they kind of show like the orc mines. It's mm. kind of like that. Mm. Yeah, they'll just dig somewhere else out of the ground. Yeah, yeah. the orc mine, <laughs> the orc mines, the orc yeah. mines mining for orcs. Yeah, well, yeah that's well, they make the love guru. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I like. I didn't. I also feel like we, it's we weird. Support the orc miners union. Given given the the amounts of lifting done by the respective genders, I find it weird to suggest that it's men who create people. I feel like <laughs> women do so much more right? of the work there. Like men contribute, but it is really like they're like they're doing an initial. You know, it's not it's not really it, it's ten percent at most. Right, Mom, right. I do appreciate how much you respect women. <laughs> That's right. And I respect and them because they're and mothers, and because they produce babies <laughs> for the continuation of humanity. Yeah. Mm. Are you, have you got have you become gender critical since I last spoke to you this morning? Not gender critical. I'm very positive about gender. I I love it. I think it's great. Yeah, no, I think it's yeah. great. <laughs> That's right. I think it's thing, great, I'm but I am actively pro gender. <laughs> I fucking love you know gender. What? It's fucked up. It's fucked up that men contribute ten percent to making a baby, but they get paid <laughs> like 80%, you know? That's, By the baby minds. The, the baby pay gap is really just, it's its unreal. Mm. We, and then they we get, and then they get it, 100% of the credit in a Seinfeld bit. 100%. In the Seinfeld mm. bit, right? Seinfeld is As, as if men enough. just sort of fashioned uh, fashioned people out of clay mm. or, or they sprung from their head like Athena. Yeah, that's right. You know, that's how it works. Well, it is a ve- it, it is actually a very um, it's like interesting. It is, I presumably he doesn't know this, but it is a it is a problem from uh, classical philosophy, like who like who has the greater claim of parentage over a child, and one and there and there was one conclusion, um, which is that. Uh, Women are the ground that grow, uh, yes. that grow the seed, whereas men provide yes. the seed, and therefore women are not like women are not a true parent of a child, whereas a father yes. is. I and that have seems read to, that. And seems then the, to be the point that Jerry is making here. Mm. The sperm eats the egg to get strong. That's right. It does do that. Yeah. Yeah. And then it grows right. into a person. Yeah. The the, the sperm right. is in Clay there just making an omelet. <laughs> right. Mm. Right. It's yeah. disgusting. That's right. Yeah, can't make an omelet without eating some eggs. Yeah, um, women can't have babies because they're too busy shopping. They're too busy shopping. <laughs> to be fair, Jerry is also too busy shopping. <laughs> That's right. To, That's why he can't make, be a father. Yeah. To make babies. That's why he's yeah. scared of them. <laughs> That's why he's not a father, yeah. Yeah, that's true. This all adds up. Mm. He's too yeah. busy sticking drugs to his chest hair to go to the baby <laughs> mines and, and pull a baby from the rocks. Yeah, it, yeah right. it's a fa- like, I, I mean, yet again, we return to, the, return to the fact that a lot of Jerry's observational humor is very much like a non-carbon-based alien 
who is mm. writing back to his captain, like a kind of report on Earth with kind of barely concealed disgust. Um, <laughs> and he's sort of sa- and he's sort of saying so he's sort of saying stuff like, "So a man on this planet, if he doesn't like the people around him, he just gets his dick out and makes new people. That's how they do things. That's how they do things on this yeah. planet." Each man has the has the potential for uh, human human creation. They have killed God, and they have all taken the place of it, God. It would be a terrifying uh, yeah, it's just, reality it's just if you could just nut a fully formed human. That would be really <laughs> upsetting. Like you just you're you're having you a wank at home, and then the, just the out comes like a management consultant who's like, "Hi, I'm Greg." <laughs> um. Yeah, I think it represents a real challenge to the condom industry. Mm, it would. It like, would. How are you ma- how are you making a condom which is going to contain this fully grown <laughs> this fully grown person without breaking it? <laughs> is it sorry? Is it just in your in your in your thinking about this? Is it like one nut equals one person, or is it a sperm per person? I think it would have to be one nut because if it was like a sperm, I think it's just like if you if you had that sex with a woman you. at all, you would kill her. I think that's what would occur in that yeah. scenario. So that's of the actual logical conclusion of like the only the only correct. Um, that's right. Like position of kind of full sex negativity is mm. that no one should have sex ever because it would kill you. That's right. Yeah, that's the position of the or church, no and one I support them. To completion. Well, like. Well, like uh, this is like we were talking about with Matt. This is a uh, it's like Superman. Mm. He can have sex, but he can't nut. Oh, yeah. that old chestnut. Yeah. yeah, he's on SSRIs. That old chest nut. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's very depressing being because Superman. Superman is on SSRIs. It is depressing being Superman. Yeah. I'd be this, depressed. That would be fun, actually, because this bit is like a really like radical version of what the Catholic Church believes. So we could be like, oh, mm. you heathens, you think that life begins at conception. I think that life begins at nut. Like, mm. that's a fully formed baby already. Like, all jizz is sacred. Well, yeah, that, you're literally describing a, a Monty Python bit. Oh, shit. Yeah, um, I was going to say, that is yeah. a lot. So a sorry to tell you. Fuck. Yeah. This yeah. is why I never so watch anything apart sacred, from right? Gotta stop. Yeah. Now, yeah. Before I get sued. Um, so th- then Elaine shows up, right? <laughs> um, and she's very late because she sat in Kramer's car and helped him with the doves, um, which is like a funny, funny twist because they didn't help him because they didn't want to be late. And then, the, and then they ruined their evening by being stuck with this man while Elaine was late doing the very thing which they refused to do. Um, and so then they discuss this. They decide they're going to go to a restaurant, but it's snowing. Jerry wants to turn his jacket inside out to stop it getting snow on it and being ruined. But then uh, Elaine's dad is like, you're not walking along with us dressed like that. And so then he goes out in the snow in it. He ruins the jacket. The next day they're in Jerry's apartment. They're mourning over how the jacket has been ruined. Kramer comes in and then it's like, well, I guess you don't want it now. So takes the jacket. And then is still holding Jerry's old jacket and is like, oh, it's a shame you gave me this one as well. Um, and then leaves with, uh, with both jackets. Uh, that's pretty much the rest of the plot. Um, and then there is a closing bit, um, which I thought was, this was the most Phoebe part of the episode for me. Um, I feel like this, the, I, there's always a bit of every episode that deeply reminds me of Phoebe and that this for it was me. Like the, the bit where he's like, oh, why is it that like, suede jackets don't perform 
well in the rain. Mm-hmm. It's made of cow. Aren't cows outside pretty much all of the time? Like, shouldn't cows be able to get wet? And I was like, this is, I was like, this is, Phoebe's written this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I can, I, I can, I can accept that. Um, I, I just, I just really, really like talking about cows and I will, and mm. I will get the conversation round to cows by any means necessary, fair or foul. Mm. Well, hopefully not foul. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's funny. I think it's a funny bit about the and of course i think it's funny because i wrote it and i wrote it to be funny that's right um i don't have an i don't have anything to add i don't have anything to add to it i think yeah. i think Mary, do you have any thoughts on that bit that, <laughs> <laughs> do you have any thoughts about the bit uh, that i wrote at the age of yeah thank you just like a prototypical seinfeld bit of just how come this thing isn't how how come and everyone loves it. Everyone goes wild, mm. and uh, and Jerry just everyone, smiles everyone and nods. Yeah, everyone clap. The audience are always funny hooting joke. and hollering at his bits, which for me is the funniest they part. Love it. <laughs> it is very funny that they're so. Yeah, the reaction it. is very over the top. It's definitely it, like those bits are definitely like choreographed by someone who has never been to a stand-up comedy show. Like, I, mm. I, I don't know. Maybe it's different. Maybe it's different in. America, but I mean it definitely is, but I don't think it's, it's that different. <clears throat> like, like I've never seen anyone at a comedy show, like regardless of quality, looking mm. like they're having that good a time. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, like I just haven't. Yeah, American comedy audiences are great because the British comedy audiences actually hate comedy, um, and it is mm. basically a battle of like how much like. They they come at it with such an attitude of sheer ennui that like it's it's very difficult mm. to amuse them unless you're going to talk about anal sex. Um, whereas yeah, oh, the American audiences are more up for it. They do love that. They really do. Right, Americans go to a comedy club looking to laugh, whereas for British people, it's like a, a challenge. Yeah. It's oh yeah, it's 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 much it's much laugh. more. Bet you can't make me laugh. Yeah yeah yeah. I bet you yeah. can't, yeah. you know? Yeah. Bet, you, uh, bet, you fucking, bet you fucking can't. What British yeah, people so love the most at uh, Comedy Night is any kind of like niche regional banter. I once did mm. a gig in uh, Leicestershire, but it was like on the border with Nottinghamshire and there were some people from Nottinghamshire who'd come and they were all sat at one table. And the MC literally the entire night was doing riffs about like, oh you're from nottinghamshire so you probably do this and none of it made any sense to me like i couldn't make head nor t- and these people were like thigh slapping <laughs> like weeping tears of joy <laughs> listening to this it's like come over here from nottingham can you believe that um and it's just i would like <laughs> I, i'm like i'm more like this man is a comedy genius but i do not understand <laughs> like there's a people were practically like going up and like doing that like double clasp handshake of him like that's the greatest thing i've ever seen oh my god a bit about how in nottingham they wear shoes so different um or whatever it was yeah no, 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 this is this is this is true. This is the only thing that British people like in in comedy. Mm. I always wonder why um why it's such a kind of popular pastime, really. Mm. Because people like actively choose to do it and they sort of sit there with their arms folded, just looking like they're just having just the worst possible time. Could be watching the Love Guru. Yeah, and I'm all- stuck here with this. 
Last week. Could be could be sit at home watching it, Love Guru. Um, and there's always this kind of two and a half men sort of sense. (laughs) It was broadcast as two and a half blokes in England. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that they just sort of that they have chosen to be here, Mm. but there's just been this just sort of miscommunication at a very kind of deep level of Mm. British culture, whereby um, everyone apart from comedians themselves have have just never been told what the correct way to respond to a comedy gig is mm. yeah unless and the answer unless is by saying like, that's right they do do that you don't laugh you just politely say that yeah mm. yes you um, do right we have a closing yeah. we have a closing segment which unusually for us we've actually prepared um it's incredibly rogue of us to have done any preparation for this. It's a segment that we've brought back. We've done it once before and it went okay. So we're going to try it again. Uh, so uh, Merritt, what's happened here is that Phoebe and I have each written a Seinfeld style bit and we would like you to judge which one of them is the most Seinfeld. Okay. All right. doesn't have to be a good bit. It just has to be just yeah. the most Seinfeld. Exactly. Okay. In the fact, the better of a bit it is, the, the worse it is for the purposes of this competition. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Also, um, it is worth pointing out that um, I've remembered literally just now that we were doing this. So let's see. Let's see how we go. <laughs> Shall I go first then? <laughs> you, you, you go first. <laughs> okay. So the, the topic that we decided upon was uh, the topic of responding to a nude, uh, which I think is a... Uh, Suitably, it's something that Seinfeld would feel the need to address, I think, if he were Uh, were going now. For sure. Um, So, a woman sends you a naked picture. What do you you say to that? Men, they never say anything to naked people. That's the first rule of the locker room. You don't go in there. You don't say, hi, Jim, nice cock. You You look straight ahead. You don't address naked people. There's no formula for it. You can't say you look nice. It's too insincere. But you can't be too honest. You can't say, I will surely masturbate to that. That's too weird. You gotta, you gotta find something else. I've started replying to them like it's an email. I get a nude. I say thanks for this. I'll get to it right away and circle back with you later. That's my bet. <laughs> Pretty good. Thank you. Pretty good. Okay, so um, very Jerry. I've literally, <laughs> I've literally just, 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 just like, just like scribble something down. It's like it's more just about nudes in general. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, women don't want to see men naked. They don't want to see. They don't want to see pictures of men naked. They don't want to see men naked. Women don't want a nude of a man. All men want is to see women naked. We'll look at anything you want to show us. In 1850, men will be saying to each other, "You seen her? She sent me a painting of her ankle." That's it. That's my whole bit. Okay, that's actually that's actually very good. That's very Seinfeld. I can really see him doing that. That is very Seinfeld. They're both so Seinfeld. I, I don't think I can choose. They bo- oh, I can hear him. I can the, see him saying. That's <laughs> <laughs> the best outcome that you just you can't choose because we're both so good. Absolutely. Perfect, a perfectly diplomatic answer. Um, exactly. Yeah. Which is more, which is more, more, than, more, than, more than just Matt kudos. was willing to. <laughs> Thank you. Kudos to both of you for just <laughs> nailing the Jerry voice, uh, the authorial voice of Jerry Seinfeld. So you know your craft for sure. That's why they pay us the small <laughs> podcasting bucks. 
That's why. That's why we make upwards. That's of right. Fifteen thousand pounds a year. Um. So, uh, on that on that note, I suppose that's the end of another episode. It remains only for us to thank Merritt very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. This was very fun. It was lovely to revisit one of the earlier episodes of uh, of Seinfeld, the show that I have seen far too many. <laughs> is there anything you'd like to plug? Uh, yeah, so I do podcasts over at Fanbyte, which is a entertainment website, mostly games, but we do movies and TV too. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go to podcastnet.work uh, in your internet browser, you can Open find up all our shows. Fire, it up. Fire up Netscape Navigator. Mm-hmm. Uh, get, get on CompuServe. <laughs> go and go. Get on AOL. Navigate to um, America <laughs> Online. America Online. Yeah. Uh, keyword fanbite. <laughs> um, yeah, we do so many podcasts. Um, all of them about the love you know, guru. Oh, they're all about the love guru. <laughs> we do have a movie podcast called You Love to See It. Hmm. I don't think we've done the love guru yet. We did do one of the Austin Powers films at one point. Uh, we'll probably do the other ones eventually. Um, but yeah, there's so many shows that we do. They're all about, you know, there's the movie one. There's uh, one about basketball called Corner Three, which is mm. is new. It's really good. Um, so yeah, check those out. Podcastnet.work. And that'll take you to all of our shows. Awesome. And I would love to come on to discuss any films from the Joseph Fritzl extended universe. <laughs> <laughs> the rich fictional world <laughs> film you don't want your film a con- category you don't want your film to be listed under like you make a film and then immediately joseph Ritzel just says i loved this film and you're like fuck all i can think about now is the is the pure horror of the uh, fritzel themed secret cinema so, <laughs> so, I think, so I think i think i think i think it's time the to very once again cinema. thank our thank our guest and to thank you all as ever for listening. Yeah. Um, we will see you uh, next week on the bonus feed or the week after that back on the free feed. Uh, thanks very much. See you soon. That's right.